0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: The really good thing about kind of drawing things down just a little bit in 23 is that 21 and 22 were awfully good. So as I look at 24, I do think there's some uh, there's some potential. You have to lock in some income and some other, uh, So I guess maybe even make it a better year than 23 for some people. And I guess we can go into more detail there, uh, but uh, I, I certainly think 24 could end up better than 23 for some people.
0: Welcome back listeners to the last market monday podcast of 2023 we're sitting here december 18th of 2023 can't believe the year went so fast delaney
2: Where has time gone tanner
0: uh into the past i don't have a good <laughs> i don't have a good quip for that
2: i know and you know it's silly because time passes at the same frequency every day time doesn't change our perspective of time changes
0: boy that sounded really philosophical
2: i know You're welcome.
0: Did you steal that? Did you
2: steal that from somebody? (laughs) I I mean, maybe. I probably read it on some sort of TikTok or something, but I don't know.
0: Oh, that's fun. Well, that's good. Some of our friends may have a white Christmas. We do have winter weather that's expected for northern Indiana, southern Michigan, and parts of Ohio today. National Weather Service says as much as eight inches of snow could hit those parts of Indiana and Michigan. Plus, they get wind gusts of up to 45 miles per hour. Speaking of uh, TikTok, I saw that uh, Tony Reed Growing Corn 2020, took a snapshot of their local forecast that said they were going to have gusts up to 155 miles per hour. They later got corrected, need to be only 55, but still, Illinois is experiencing some extreme wind gusts today. We've got travel conditions that are going to deteriorate. Because of that wind throughout most of the Midwest, western and central Ohio, may only get a half inch out of that snowstorm that's headed their way. But most of Iowa, the Dakotas, Nebraska, and Illinois are going to get the wind that is following that system through. So it looks like snow in a couple of states, but mostly just breezy and cool for the rest of the Midwest.
2: Okay, well, it's going to be dry and Probably hot for South America as we're continuing to watch Brazil's drought going on there. Got some interesting perspective here coming out of the fertilizer market, Tanner. I've got actually quite a few fertilizer headlines for today. So I'm going to try to get through these all here if I can. But Brazil's drought is, as we know, causing quite a bit of commotion to getting their initial crop in the ground here. And as they're working on getting their corn crop planted, Some folks are suggesting that that's going to drastically delay fertilizer purchases for their upcoming corn planting season, which could put a dent in sales for the global fertilizer suppliers, most specifically crops like Nutrien, Mosaic, and Yara will likely see an effect of fertilizer purchase delays or potentially lack of fertilizer price or excuse me lack of fertilizer purchases here which could impact the global supply or potentially see facilities start to slowing slow down on their fertilizer production if in fact we do see that brazil won't need as much fertilizer as they once suspected but today cook ag and energy solutions announced that they've reached an agreement to acquire OCI Global's nitrogen fertilizer plant in Weaver, Iowa, for $3.6 billion. Once this transaction is finalized, KAES will have 100% ownership of the facility, the facility located along the Mississippi River in southeastern Iowa. This plant was originally opened back in 2017 and has the capacity to produce about 3.5 million metric tons of nitrogen fertilizers, and diesel exhaust fluid annually. As we look at how this impacts the market on a bigger picture, Tanner, um, Josh Linville, who is, of course, the vice president of fertilizer at Stonex, said he's going to be incredibly interested to see how this moves the market forward. Last week, we saw the Senate had a fertilizer transparency hearing and put forward the fertilizer transparency bill that's very fresh in everyone's mind. The bill was to help and create more transparency and create competition and study trends in the fertilizer market. The bill was introduced by Senators Chuck Grassley, Joni Ernst, and Tammy Baldwin as a result of the industry becoming too concentrated. Tanner, and this is one of many bills we have now seen in the poultry industry, the beef industry, and many others that are aimed at finding out if there are anti-competitive measures in place and how we've gotten to this point of true consolidation in many sectors. We find ourselves in here in agriculture, but according to Josh Linville, he said this is going to be seen as the first challenge to buyer to, from a buyer's perspective as it removes a competitor from the marketplace. This will be interesting to see how Congress reacts, as well as how this Fertilizer Research Act would potentially allow or not allow this deal to get the green light. But it sounds like most people are fairly confident that this uh, agreement here between Cook and OCI will likely move forward.
0: It seems like there's a lot of investigations into anti-competitive measures in agriculture. and Maybe maybe for good reason we'll see how all of those shake out in 2024 we do expect 2024 to have tighter margins globally for ag producers especially those that are row crop farmers ag analysts at Rabobank expect the operating margins to contract in 2024 of course we are coming off three record years of farm profitability they state that the bank expects a more positive outlook on soybeans than they do for corn and for wheat. And their main drive to that is due to ending stocks, looking at what production historically has been and where demand will be in the future. Even though we don't know what next year's crop is going to look like, Delaney, they point to what trend line yield can do and they look at the trend of demand shrinking. They continue to keep an eye on what margins will be and do see that some farmers across the United States already have solid margins locked in for their corn crop, and their soybean analysts state that that is still the opportunity for potential higher and improved margins. One of the suggestions there is that they expect corn to remain neutral to negative, depending upon what next year's crop looks like. Russia has a huge impact on where wheat is going to be headed. I'm kind of excited to see what our Market Monday conversation has to say about Russia's role in the wheat market. But ultimately, Rabo is warning producers about price volatility coming up in the next years. States that in terms of price risk, the corn market exhibits the least upside potential with wheat presenting the highest and soybeans fall right in between. When you talk about uh, Vanessa, who writes on behalf of Rabobank, ultimately, they have no concerns about delinquencies rising at a substantial rate and expect loan repayment to remain pretty much on schedule to where it's been trending the last couple of years. A little insight there coming from Rabobank.
2: Well, Danner, it certainly is that time of year where we're going to get some end of the year and beginning of the year forecasts for what lie ahead. But the number of U.S. farm acres owned by foreign entities grew by more than 8% in 2022 to about 43.4 million acres in total. And that number is expected to continue to rise here for final numbers for 23, as well as the outlook for 2024. However, the caveat being that many States have now put forward legislation, Tanner, to try and prevent foreign entities from purchasing U.S. farmland. But foreign entities show the biggest land holdings in Colorado, Alabama, and Michigan. And uh, I know some of those states have seen some legislation moving forward here, but that's going to be a big story, big headline that folks are going to be watching here as we head into 2024.
0: Yeah, especially a little surprise there with Colorado because they've been very vocal about their policies being proposed. So I'm sure that would change next year. Kansas is continuing to monitor their cases of avian influenza. They are paying attention specifically to McPherson and Rice counties. The number of cases this fall in Kansas is up to 21. The state environmental officials uh, gave their release. The Kansas Department of Agriculture says in a 12-mile zone, around two central Kansas facilities have now been identified for the potential risk of that highly pathogen avian influenza. They will continue to keep an eye on that. Their announcement came last week as members of the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection will be on site. They found cases of avian flu in two egg-laying facilities, one in McPherson County, one in Rice County. That is bringing that total cases, like I said, up to 21. There is not a release, Delaney, of how many birds will be euthanized during this, but they will continue to surveil- uh, provide surveillance for 12 and a half mile radius around both sites. try and curb the spread of this. Obviously, we know, as we reported many times, that this can be transplanted uh, and transmitted by natural birds that are going uh, and migrating during this time of year. But if anybody has a case that is suspected, they do encourage farmers to get their birds tested to hopefully help stop the spread of avian influenza
2: I had that story as well, Tanner, so I was scrambling to get to my next headline here. We're seeing a little bit of shortened news as we head into the new year. But on the livestock front here, we've seen some groups moving forward to ask the Biden administration for stronger enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act, as they're saying it could jeopardize by the slow pace of new rule setting. Earlier this last week, 62 different groups wrote to President Biden asking him to accelerate the efforts to add more teeth to the enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. The letter came from several groups representing both smaller producers as well as non-livestock groups, which included the National Farmers Union, the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, and RCAF USA. They said that the groups pointed to the speed of new rules, stating that they have some major concerns about the slow pace of progress by the USDA related to the Packers and Stockyards rules, which could put them in jeopardy. The USDA has a final rule sitting at the White House Office of Management and Budget and has had one sitting there since October 17th. The Inclusive Competition and Market Integrity under the Packers and Stockyards Act Would spell out pretty certainly what the conduct for packers, swine contractors, or live poultry dealers needs to be moving forward and how it relates to those classifications being qualified as unfair, preferential, unjustly discriminatory, or deceptive. So, very much in line with what we were talking about there with adding transparency to the fertilizer market, these groups are asking for more clarity about how to enforce this related to the livestock packers and stockyards as well, Tanner. So not a lot of traction or movement here from the Biden administration. I don't believe that they have responded yet publicly to this letter from about 62 groups there, but it is sitting with the Office of Management and Budget, and that has been where the holdup has been.
0: I'm glad you shared that. I did see that headline as well. So I will just wrap up with headlines from the Gaza region. U.S. Defense Secretary is visiting the area to look at pathways for refugees to be able to take out of the Gaza region. The civilians within Gaza have Joe Biden's support that is trying to help push forward the safety and soundness of them. A US warship responded Monday to distress calls from a commercial vessel after it was attacked by multiple projectiles in the Southern Red Sea. US military officials stated that Yemen's Iran-backed Houthis did claim responsibility for that attack. We have at least 110 people that have been killed over the weekend in the northern Gaza region, and the British minister urged Israel to abide by the humanitarian laws after Israeli military sniper allegedly shot and killed a mother and daughter, daughter in a Gaza church. So unfortunately there, that also was an act that was condemned by Pope Francis, but we don't see a lot of positive progressions in the Gaza region, Delaney.
2: No, we certainly don't, Tanner, and uh, hopefully they'll see some ceasefire here heading into the holiday season, although Hanukkah is going on in full force and we still have not seen that uh, come to any sort of a head here. So who knows? I'm sure that will come up during our Market Monday conversation here in just a moment, Tanner. But before we get to that, what do you say we take a look at where the markets are trading? Let's do it. Well, markets closed on a mixed note here as we head into some lighter trade with the holiday season upon us, March corn today shed 6 cents to close at 477, January soybeans up 11 and a quarter at 1327. In the wheat complex here today, the March contract shed 12 and a quarter cent to close at 617. Hard red March winter wheat shed 15 cents to close at 627 and 3 quarters, and March spring wheat down 9 and a quarter cent to close at 721 and a half. Livestock here on the board today added a little bit of positive movement as the February live cattle contract settled 27 and a half cents higher at a buck 69.62 January feeder cattle added $2. $2.27 and a half cents at 22317 and February lean hogs shed 32 and a half cents today closing the day out at 71.57 and a half well, Tanner, for today's Market Monday conversation, we're chatting with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, Matt, as I was just sharing with you, you are our last market conversation we have here before we head into the new year. So no pressure, but we've got a lot to, a lot of big things to talk about as we head into 2024.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's a lot going on. That's for sure.
2: There certainly is. So let's maybe start big picture here before we tackle today's market conversation in particular. But Matt, as you head into 2024, we know that the producer's balance sheet is going to be getting tighter. Everything we're hearing from USDA, from market analysts, et cetera, is pointing to a little bit tougher time in 2024. What are you paying most attention to with that in mind for producers this next year?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. So you, you look and the reason why, you know, as you head into 24, things are looking uh, the way that they look is that 23, we spent so much money on this corn crop. And unfortunately, I think as a general rule, we maybe didn't get enough corn marketed. And so, you know, one thing I try to challenge producers to think about is, you know, when fertilizer prices are excessively high, we know one thing's for sure. And that is that corn prices are going to be elevated as well. And so, I think the best thing that we can maybe learn from 23 is if we're going to go ahead and book the fertilizer, uh, we know if it's expensive that we're going to have to consider maybe selling some corn at the same time. So, you know, I always try to get my producers to journal a little bit about uh, things they've learned uh, about the particular year that we're talking about. And I think that that could be a very healthy practice because as you go into 24, liquidity is definitely going to tighten. Now, the really beautiful thing is that 21, and 22 for most growers were fantastic as far as an income standpoint was concerned. I know not everyone had a big crop in 22, for instance, but the really good thing about kind of drawing things down just a little bit in 23 is that 21, and 22 were awfully good. So as I look at 24, I do think there's some uh, there's some potential you know, to lock in some income and some other, uh, so uh I guess, maybe even make it a better year than 23 for some people. And I guess we can go into more detail there. Uh, But uh, I, I certainly think 24 could end up better than 23 for some people.
2: All right. That's a really positive outlook as we head into the new year. So Matt, let's dig into that outlook a little bit more and why you think this might be a better year for some growers as we head into 2024.
1: Yeah. So just to kind of expand on what I talked about, I knew I was getting a little long way there. But uh, to expand on what I was talking about, yeah, we spent a lot of money putting that 23 crop in the ground. Okay. 24 crop. uh, We're not going to spend near as much. I mean, uh, you know, we're getting a fair amount of relief there. You know, a lot of folks spent anywhere from 11 to $1,500 on anhydrous for the 23 crop that was bought in the fall of 22. Whereas this year, there's a lot of $550 to $600 anhydrous purchase. Now, I know there was some that was higher than that, but the lot of your prepay was significantly lower, less than half of what most people paid you know, for the previous crop. So, oh, I don't know, uh, dry fertilizer is a lot cheaper as well. And so here's the thing. Uh, if you miss the boat on making sales for the 23 crop early on, that's why it's made this corn situation very tight. I don't think it's any secret that the producer hasn't sold near- uh, enough corn, if you will, for their own comfort level. You know, a lot of folks maybe uh, uh, didn't get enough corn sold. Elevators have been very uh, open to that information on how um, quote unquote undersold a producer is. So as I look at 24, whenever I look at what you've got invested in the crop, there's a very good chance uh, right now to just step in and lock in a worst case scenario that actually might look better as far as corn's concerned. I'm talking corn right now, Uh, better than what the 23 looked like. And so I do think there'll be a lot of growers that on 23 as a standalone for corn, going to have a hard time finding black ink. And again, that's because we've got too much invested for what we got out of the crop.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned that that was singular to corn on the soybean side. It seems like there's a few more variables as we factor in South American weather right now as well. So how does that impact your outlook for soybeans heading into 2024?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. So Beans is different. Uh, whenever I, if I'm going to compare apples to apples uh, for 23, most growers uh, that we've looked at, that we've talked to uh, bankers that we're working with, you know, are saying that 23, uh, for a lot of folks, beans looks better than corn. If we're fair about it, you know, a lot of times growers may not attribute enough of the fertilizer cost towards that bean crop, but even if they did for the 23 crop, Uh, it would have been two years previous, you know, unless it's a producer that fertilizes every year, but a lot of producers fertilize every other year in front of corn. And so, you know, your cost to put that 23 crop in the ground for beans, relatively speaking, wasn't quite what it was for corn. And so, you know, whenever I look at 23 beans, I think a lot of producers are still in a really good position. Uh, I don't think they've gotten near the ownership on old crop is, is uh, what they have with corn. But regardless, you've got $13 plus beans even on the cash side. Uh, for most people, whenever I look at 24, you know, 24 beans settled at 2080, uh, 1280, 1284 today. You know, and so you're, what, 16 cents away from 13 bucks, and a lot of producers are taking a look at that and saying, eh, I don't want to sell till 13, but I I guess I would just ask a producer, hey, put, put the numbers on a spreadsheet, put them in a calculator, whatever it might be. I know there's a lot of great apps. We've got one. You know, and, and just find out, hey, what do my profit margins look like if I sell at 1284 basis the board? You know, maybe it's a synthetic put. There's all kinds of things we can do. But locking in, once again, a worst-case scenario with a chance to participate if the market goes on up, you know, I think there's some pretty good, uh, pretty good profit margin you can lock in currently. So I really like old crop and new crop beans. I think both of them are, are going to be profitable. And the nice thing about old crop beans being profitable is it kind of helps with that uh, old corn situation.
2: So Matt, as we look at today's market situation, we had mixed trade on the board here with soybeans trading higher. What pushed this movement here today?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, going to be a whole lot of weather talk. And so, you know, there's, there's a few things going on. First of all, obviously, it depends on when you look, it's all it's almost like a summer feel as far as uh, weather's concerned, you know, you you look and see, hey, you know, uh, what's going to be the situation for Brazil, a lot of folks have been trying to bring rainfall into the country. And I still think that we're trending in that direction, that we're going to get more rain here, uh, starting sometime in here over the next few weeks. And if that's the case, then I think there'll be a lot of people feel better about the situation. But I just saw you know, a quote last week that said that 52% of the Brazil uh, Brazilian soybean growing region has had less than 50% up to this point in the growing season. So it's something to keep an eye on now. Today, I think there was a fair amount of uh, optimism, if you will, in the bean meal market whenever you looked at Argentina talking about upping their export tax. And so, uh, you know, obviously, Argentina historically has been a huge exporter of soybean meal. Most years in my career, they've been at least 50 percent of the world's soybean meal exports. And so, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward as we ramp up our uh, crush industry in the U.S., I think uh, I don't know that we're, we're going to be number one by any means, but I do think we're going to kind of gobble up some of that export share. But I think that's part of the reason why the export or the soybean meal market was excited today is, you know, you're looking at uh, if they're going to put that export tax there, you know, it's certainly going to keep us very competitive in the game as far as world exports, of soybean meal goes.
2: Now when we look at today's market outlook for wheat, what was going on here and more big picture, I suppose, too, as well. You know, where do where do we at as far as the Russia-Ukraine situation goes? Because I feel like it's been uh undershadowed lately by what's going on in the Israel-Hamas conflict. And we haven't really had, I feel like, a clear picture of what is expected coming out of that region for 2024.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's the biggest problem is that, uh, you know, is the corridor open? Is it not open? You know, you've got a lot of issues, of course, shipping through uh, uh, through the Red Sea at this point. And so, yeah, uh, you know, people are like, well, uh, I-, I think there's a lot of fear on. You know, if you go ahead and you buy cheap product, like, for instance, Ukraine has corn available and wheat uh, on the world market, cheaper than what the U.S. does. U.S. is cheaper than Brazil on both corn and beans. So that's a really good thing. And I think that's part of the reason our exports have been good lately. But there is cheap supply out of Ukraine. The problem, of course, is going to be a safety situation. You know, I know Maersk, for instance, said last week they were going to quit shipping through the Red Sea. Um You know, that's not the Black Sea. I totally understand that. But the problem is, is that, you know, there's a lot of concerns either way you go. And so uh, whenever you look at this wheat situation, you know, a lot of it for me depends on, you know, what are you going to be able to get out of Russia? And I think that that's a that's a a topic that continues to evolve. I mean, it seems like it just depends on which day of the week. Uh, You know, obviously, they've kind of changed tunes several times. The other thing is looking at Australia. So Australia is definitely going to have a lower wheat crop than what most people thought. That's been part of the reason, in my opinion, that you've had a little bit of enthusiasm. I mean, it wasn't the only reason, but it certainly uh, played into it. So wheat market to me was beat up for a whole, I mean, just for a long time, kind of picked itself up off the mat. And then last week, it looked like we made kind of a double bottom. Uh, But this uh, start to the week definitely isn't something encouraging to me. I've not been uh, bearish. The wheat prices where they're at. Uh, but it's, it's concerning to me that we're starting out this week the way we are.
2: Matt, we're going to see light holiday trade as we head into the final couple of weeks of the year here. So for those producers that are looking to maybe make some grain marketing decisions or they're thinking about planning ahead for 2024, what are some factors to consider here as we know that volatility and trade should be fairly light?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is that if you really need to generate a little bit of income, you know, the first place I'd probably go would be my uh, commercially stored bushels. And, you know, that's nothing against elevators, but he means it's just the cost of ownership right now, you know, is 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 quite high. And so it's uh, three cents plus a month uh, for corn. It's pushing nine cents for soybeans. And so, you know, if you have those stored commercially, you know, you're talking maybe seven for corn and oh, 13, 14 cents for soybeans. And so that's part of the reason I would probably move a few of those bushels first. Now we got to keep in mind that if Brazil does not turn off wet, as dry as what they've been, then you could continue to see some fireworks you know, in this bean market, first of all, and then second of all, it could carry over into the safrinha crop. So definitely some issues as far as when that crop was planted overall, it's going to be a little bit later than their ideal planting window whenever they do finally get to plant that corn crop. Uh, and that's if uh, the bean crop comes off when they think it's going to come off. So I think there's still potential here. And so I want to be fairly flexible in my plan If I have bushels in the bin at home, I'm going to be a little more patient, uh, give it just a little bit more time. I kind of want to see this play out as far as uh, what's going on uh, south of the equator.
2: Matt, as we look at other factors impacting farm profitability and the greater economy heading into 2024, what are some of the other top stories or headlines you're going to be keeping a close eye on here?
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely, of course, want to keep an eye on what what are we going to come up with as far as renewable fuel uh, goes. I mean, there's a lot that's been talked about as far as uh, sustainable aviation fuel, which you know the the producer would would hope that the feedstock would be ethanol, which definitely works with sustainable. Um, you know the government uh, seems to be leaning towards uh, those tax credits being available as far as ethanol is concerned, which would be a boon for an industry that I'd say has been mature for quite some time. That's one thing I want to pay attention to. Of course, the, uh, just the value of energy, and so you know whenever you look, for instance, at this crude oil market, you know lately we've dipped back under uh, seventy dollars, kind of uh, forged little bit of a low there down around 68. And now we're climbing back higher. You know, if crude would happen to get below 70 and stay below, that's certainly going to call into question our profitability for biofuels. And of course, you know, we don't have near as many cattle uh, eating corn right now as, uh, as what we've had the last few years due to the fact we're at 65 year low. Now I know cattle on feed are strong. I'm just saying the overall herd inventory are not going to probably consume quite as much corn is what we'd like to see Um, poultry is typically the the biggest uh, uh, consumer of corn so that's a good thing but I don't think you're going to see any huge increase on demand there so biggest things I'm watching though are going to be what are we doing with our renewable fuel situation and then what's the weather look like in South America because I think the U.S. producer is still going to come at us with a fair amount of acreage this next spring it's just a matter of uh, what's the final crop size is going to look like south of the equator because those are going to have huge impact on market direction, depending on how those crops turn out.
2: Fantastic. Matt, well, I feel like this was a good uh, high level conversation to get our producers in the right mindset as we head into 2024. But if any of them have some questions we didn't tackle today, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, just uh, they can find me on the website, no problem, agmarket.net. If they want to go on there and look for research, any of our information there from technology standpoint, uh, you know, or just our contact info or they can find out about our conference this winter, Uh, you know, we've got um, February 4th and 5th, we've got our conference down in Nashville. So, you know, any of those things they can, uh, they can find at agmarket.net.
2: Fantastic, Matt. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And we hope you and your family have a great Christmas.
0: Oh,
1: absolutely. Same
0: to you. Well, thanks for talking to Matt Delaney. Appreciate that Market Monday conversation. Listeners, we're still going to be here for a couple more shows this week before the new year kicks in. So don't go too far. We've got good conversations and great headlines to cover. But for today, Delaney, what do you say? Should we let him go?
2: Let's let him go.